Let us pray. Almighty God, draw near to us through Your Word. Fill us with this Word. And build us by Your Spirit. Grant to us the strength we need during these days to follow You and to become more like our Lord Jesus. Guide us in Your truth and drive far from us all things that would hinder us and that would draw us away from what You have given to us in Jesus our Lord. This we do ask through that very same Jesus Christ. Amen. In our collect of the day that we prayed just a little while ago, we said, O oh God, You know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers. And because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant that Your strength and protection may support us in all dangers and carry us through every temptation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This prayer is one that has been in our prayer book from the very beginning. It's always been appointed for the fourth Sunday. Previously, it was appointed for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. And in our current prayer book, it's the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. So a little change in the time of when it occurs, but it's still a prayer that is being used, recognizing our struggles Recognizing our brokenness. And I think that's important for us to hear that, especially right now as we are coming up and pushing toward Lent. We're getting to that point to where we're just barely three weeks away from Ash Wednesday. And in our old prayer books, in the 1928 and prior, the three Sundays before Ash Wednesday were specially set aside for preparation for Lent. Those Sundays were focused on more fully recognizing what this prayer calls our frailty. Recognizing that we need to even prepare ourselves for Lent, this time of deep confession. This time of deep realization of our great need for Jesus. And there is benefit in that regard. Because Lent is a very serious season. Lent is focused on self-reflection. And the recognition of that need for why Jesus came. Recognition for our personal need for that very Savior. It is a time that we spend remembering our manifold sins. For our, without remembering that sinfulness that is in us, without remembering our very sins, we can easily become puffed up in ourselves. Thinking that we don't need Jesus. Thinking that we are not nearly as bad as we believe ourselves to be. Without recognizing our manifold sins and even moving through a time of preparation, we become conceited in our ability to fulfill the law. We think that we can do the law just well enough that maybe we don't need Jesus quite as much as what we might think. And so I love that we have this prayer falling right now and just that time period of entering into those final days of Epiphany. 
those final weeks of Epiphany, moving us toward Lent. And I want us to set our minds and begin setting our minds even now on Lent is coming. And with Lent is a change in church, a change in the colors that we have up here on our altar, a change in the stole that I wear, a change in how we use our music in church. Because Lent is a time of that reflection, that time of setting aside those things that we want, setting aside some things that are perfectly fine to do for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of growth. Now, I think today we hear about that kind of growth. We hear about what Jesus does for people. We see him going into Capernaum to preach and to teach in the synagogue. We see him casting out a demon. And we see the people being amazed and shocked at what God is doing through Jesus. And so, here in the midst of Epiphany, we, I think, have something of two things occurring. We have that manifestation of Jesus. But simultaneously, that manifestation of Jesus should encourage us. It should encourage us that we can too be transformed. That we see Jesus' work and know that that work is applied to us and can push us forward. That that work gives us the strength we need to move forward. Now we especially see in Jesus' uniqueness. We see His uniqueness in this passage. And that through that uniqueness, He rebukes a demon. And in His rebuking of that demon, we should not fear rebuking ourselves as we pursue transformation. As we pursue that transformation He has given to us through His Spirit. So Jesus' rebuking of that demon means that we should not fear rebuking ourselves. For what is greater, Jesus rebuking a demon or Jesus dwelling in us and strengthening us to turn away from ourselves? For He has transformed us and calls us to pursue transformation. And so the first thing that we begin to see in this passage is the uniqueness of Jesus' Word. And it says that they went into Capernaum. That is, Jesus and His disciples that He had just called to Himself. Peter and Andrew, John and James. They go into Capernaum. And they immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So easy to overlook this very quick introduction to what's happening in this passage. What I love is the setup here is that they went into Capernaum. What's wonderful about that name Capernaum that I've learned over the years is that it means city or village of consolation. The city of comfort. And here on this Sabbath day, great comfort will be poured out for the people. As Jesus expresses His unique word, as He makes Himself known and manifests Himself through His teaching. And on top of that, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. What's crazy to me to think about is, as we move through this story, there's a demoniac in the synagogue, in the place where God's Word is taught, where God's Word is learned, where the law is considered and turned over and made known to the people. And we know that where God's Word is, there God's Spirit is. There was a demoniac. There was a man possessed with a demon. There in the midst of the people. How broken is the synagogue there? How broken 
Is the synagogue in that moment that a demon-possessed man was perfectly comfortable sitting in the midst of God's people? And there we see a brokenness in the synagogue and in the people in general, which reminds us, and we see here also Jesus Himself going to that synagogue, going to a broken synagogue and teaching and being there in the midst of the people, worshiping God, though He knows the place is broken, though He knows there is brokenness there in the synagogue. But nonetheless, He goes. Week in and week out, the other Gospels mention that it was His practice to always go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. That if He was not in Jerusalem, He was at the synagogue on the Sabbath. That He always went in order to come into the presence of God amongst the people of God. Though He Himself is God, that He still goes to worship. He goes to be with God's people where they have gathered for that explicit purpose of worshiping Him. And so however things work out, He volunteers to teach that day. The synagogue was a place, as I said, where the law was read and then someone would teach about that law. They would talk about it. They would explain it to the people. And often in the midst of doing that, it would be one of the scribes or one of the Pharisees in many of these places. And what they typically did was they would just read quotes from other people and talk about what those other people had to say about this passage and not really directly address the passage. They looked at others' commentaries on the passage and told that to the people. And so many look back and see that there was a a lack of passion, a lack of desire, a lack of authority coming from these scribes and Pharisees. That they weren't bringing the Word directly to the people, they were bringing the Word through others to the people. That these other previous rabbis and teachers were who they looked to. They didn't look to God to make His Word known to them. They looked merely to the teachers. And so Jesus comes and He begins teaching. And the people are astonished at the uniqueness of His Word, for they say, He is taught like one who has authority, and not as the scribes. As I said, the scribes were focused on merely quoting commentaries and looking at the tiniest bits of details and showing and talking about all the arguments that would go over whether, well, if this was a yod or if this was a tob, then that affects the meaning of everything here. Instead of just talking about what is there in front of them, instead of talking about the Scriptures that had been given to them, seeing the truth and the reality of the Spirit of God working through the very Word He inspired and brought to the people through Moses and the prophets and through the psalmist. The Word was given, but they caused a deadness to fall on the Word because they would not explain it well. They would not explain it to the people in a way that brought the Spirit to life in them, that called forth the Spirit, that convicted sins, that turned the people away from who they were in themselves and turned them toward their need for Yahweh to send His Messiah toward their need for Yahweh to pour out forgiveness upon them. And through that forgiveness to transform their hearts and their minds, that they would discover joy in serving. And I think that's what Jesus' Word is accomplishing that day for the people, that it is so unique in that moment that they are utterly astonished at the authority with which He preaches, the authority with which He teaches about God's Word, the authority with which He brings conviction to their hearts and their minds to show them what the Word means in order that they could then turn to Yahweh anew, turn to Yahweh in a way that they had not turned before, and thus 
turn and true repentance, fulfilling those words just a few verses earlier in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your old ways and trust in the victory that God is accomplishing in His Messiah. That is the sum total of Jesus' teaching to the people. And here He brings that teaching into the synagogue and the people are astonished at the uniqueness of His Word. The uniqueness of that Word, though, comes from something else. It comes from the very uniqueness of Jesus' being. The uniqueness of who Jesus is in and of Himself. For as the people are astonished at His authority, verse 23 says, And immediately there was in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Here, the very thing that so many of us are blind to is completely apparent to this unclean spirit. He had come in with this man into the synagogue, and he had possessed this man. And hearing Jesus' authority, hearing his unique word, he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He recognizes Jesus as the man from Nazareth, but he recognizes something more deeply in this man from Nazareth. That he is the one who has come that has the power to destroy. That can push away the demons. That can overcome the power of the demons over people. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And that is the uniqueness of Jesus' being that He is the Holy One. He is the one who is set apart by God to do the work of God. To accomplish the work of Messiahship. To accomplish the work of new creation. To accomplish the purifying of creation itself. The driving out of the brokenness. The driving out of the sinfulness. The driving out of the waywardness and the lawlessness that has come to exist in creation because of the work of the devil and tempting and deceiving Adam and Eve and leading Adam into sin and thus tainting all of the human race with a sin nature, tainting us with frailty. For as our collect again says, we are in the midst of many grave dangers and because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. That is where we are. We are frail beings who cannot stand upright. We are frail beings who not only can't stand upright, but are in the midst of many grave dangers. Many dangers that will do us great harm and drive us from the faith. But here we have Jesus and His uniqueness being the Holy One of God, being the only begotten Son of God. The One who is true God and true man, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the eternal God in human flesh. Come down to save us. Come down to cast away the unclean spirits. To cast away Satan and his armies who would do harm to creation. Who would do harm to humanity. Jesus comes to undo them. And that is why this unclean spirit responds with, Have you come to destroy us? Because I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the one who has that authority. And I see that authority and I recognize that authority. And know that you can undo the work I am accomplishing. So this unclean spirit wants nothing to do with Jesus. Seeing who He is. Seeing what He is. Seeing what He can do and knowing what He can do. 
And that it flows out of the uniqueness of who He is, that Holy One of God. The One who has come, God in the flesh for us. And that is one of the central points of our faith is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is not just a very good man, a very good prophet, one who attained a higher usage of the Spirit, who is filled with the Spirit so much that God calls Him His Son, just like He calls us sons. But unlike us, Jesus is not adopted into the family of God. He is by nature part. He is by nature one with the family of God, for He is God Himself. He is one with God the Father, for they share the very same nature, the very same essence, along with the Holy Spirit. And that is why the demon here says, the Holy One of God, that you are the one who has been set apart, for you are the Son who has taken on flesh and has come into this world to accomplish the work of the Father, to accomplish the work of Yahweh, to bring about redemption, to bring about recreation, to bring about this driving away of Satan's forces from this world. That is what Jesus has come to do. And He rebukes this demon. And we see now the uniqueness of Jesus' action that comes from who He is and His words. In verse 25, Jesus says, or the St. Mark says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Two things are happening in Jesus' action here. He rebukes and He speaks. His words are spoken with a rebuking authority. This rebuking of the demon is His exercise of total power over the demon. That as God Himself, He has that power and authority to simply rebuke the demon. And this particular word here is a word that speaks of Yahweh's power to push back against the chaos of the world. Throughout the Old Testament, it is used often to speak of God's authority. He rebukes the winds and the waves at the Red Sea. He rebukes the nations. He rebukes Satan himself in Zechariah 3. It's the very same word with the same meaning and usage that Jesus rebukes this demon with all the authority of Yahweh himself. The very authority that Yahweh used over the Red Sea when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. And He pushed back the waves with the wind and made a dry path for them to go across. The same kind of authority that we hear the angel of the Lord use in Zechariah 3 when He rebukes Satan himself as Satan tries to condemn Jonathan the high priest. Jesus here rebukes the demon. This rebuke is a call to an absolute desisting and stopping of what one is doing, of what this demon is doing. And the words that he uses are, be silent. Come out of him. Jesus isn't being milquetoast here. This phrase, be silent, we might think that, well, that's a pretty polite way to speak to a demon. But it's only for the fact that it also means shut up. Stop and hush is a phrase of authority, a phrase of command, a phrase that is full of passion against this demon. Jesus cries out, be silent and come out of him. Jesus silences the demon immediately while the demon is speaking about who Jesus is and using this man to be his mouthpiece. Jesus quiets him. Immediately, He rebukes him with his power and he speaks words of authority over him to shut him up. 
That word, be silent, also means to muzzle. It's a muzzling of one's mouth, a closing it up like you would muzzle a dog's mouth to keep him from biting someone. Like you would muzzle an oxen's mouth to keep it from eating. And so Jesus muzzles this demon with his words. Be muzzled. Be quiet. Stop talking. We muzzle animals to keep them quiet and to bring them under control. Likewise, Jesus here muzzles this demon and exercises control over him by saying, Come out of him. And the unclean spirit immediately leaves him. Yes, he causes physical things to happen to this man. He begins to convulse in pain and to cry out. But the demon comes out of him merely with the word of Jesus. He shuts the demon up, muzzles him, and casts him out of this man. And again, this uniqueness of Jesus' action is responded to with absolute astonishment. The people are beside themselves and amazed with what has just happened here. They were amazed at His teaching just a few moments before, and now they see power in a new kind of authority that even unclean spirits obey Jesus. Even unclean spirits, those very things that create so much chaos in this world, they cannot stand up to this man Jesus of Nazareth. A new teaching with authority, they say. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. And at once, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. You see, Jesus quieting the demon isn't about some messianic secret that He is trying to hide His identity because immediately everyone just goes out and starts telling people what Jesus has done. But there's a sense in which Jesus is trying to reshape the people's understanding of the Messiah. So many people have that idea of the Messiah being this conquering king, this conquering Lord coming into Israel and Jerusalem and casting out all of their Gentile enemies. But the Messiah is intended to be one who redeems His people by sacrificing Himself for them. And so Jesus is working through His manifestation, through His revealing, through His words and His actions to recreate their understanding, to reshape their understanding of the Messiah, not as one who conquers physical enemies, but as one who casts out spiritual enemies, who conquers the spiritual brokenness within us, who casts out the sinful nature that we have through His death and resurrection to undo us in order to remake us. And Jesus' rebuking and casting out of this demon should encourage us that as Jesus could stand before that demon and cast it out, Jesus Himself comes and dwells in us this day. By word, by faith, by His sacraments, He comes and dwells with us. That we might be transformed. That we would be empowered and strengthened. That we could muzzle the very sin that is in us. That we can muzzle our sinful actions that afflict us. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us by the work of Jesus so that we can rebuke ourselves, so that we can stop ourselves, so that we can put down that which would drive us from our Savior. The Savior is who we need, not ourselves. We are called to death in our walk with Jesus. And He empowers us to enter into death for He has died already for us. 
And He has been raised to new life that we too in our death would be raised to new life. And in that being raised to new life, we are given the power and the authority to muzzle ourselves. To embrace the change that He brings about. To embrace the transformation He has given to us through His death and His resurrection. That we could walk this path as new creations in this old creation world. That He transforms us and begins to drive us away from that which we used to be. That we would become that which He desires us to be. Jesus rebukes the demon in our text today in order to show that we can be encouraged and built up with the power of Jesus Himself in us to rebuke ourselves. And so may we embrace the transformative power of Jesus that comes because of His work that flows out of who He is in and of Himself. May we be transformed and may we move forward in that rebuking of ourselves. May we muzzle our sinful thoughts. May we muzzle our sinful actions and cast them away from us for the sake of Jesus. May we be changed ever more through the revelation of who Jesus is and cling to Him and love Him and serve Him in all that we do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.